Our guest today on Launch AMA is Reza Sanai, founding CTO of Beanworks and is currently the interim CTO at Craver Solutions. He has over 20 years of experience being in leadership positions in tech, holds many awards and achievements, such as having one of the biggest Vancouver tech exits, and is EY's Entrepreneur of the Year in 2021. In this chat, Reza and Sam talk about what it's like to lead teams, how it felt to build a product for an industry he's not an expert in, and his thoughts on the current trend of return to office. Let's check it out. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Launch AMA. I'm your host, Sam, as usual. I am joined by today, or I'm joined today by Reza Sanai, uh, former founder of Beanworks. Um, he has 20 years of experience building tech, building different solutions as, uh, as CTOs and such. Um, he was also recognized as EY's Entrepreneur of the Year in 2021. Welcome, Reza. Thank you. Um, glad to be here and excited to um, see uh, meet the audience and see what kind of questions come out of it. Awesome. Um, I'm super excited because we we've been talking about doing this for for a couple months, but but you're a busy guy. You've been traveling around. Where have you been lately? Um, I was in Mexico earlier in January. Um, for a little beach getaway, and then um, I was also in Brazil in February. So. Awesome. Get some sun. We we might be alienating our audience, but how did those two places compare? Completely different. Completely different. <laughs> um, well, Mexico, it's it's an all like all inclusive resort, like a very mm-hmm. adventurous. You just go in and you're like tucked away, um, mm-hmm. in like the west, like an American kind of version of like Mexico. So you don't really get to see Mexico, but on the Brazil side, it was like more adventure strip and seeing the city and talking to people. So got it. Got it. If those in the audience are from Mexico or Brazil, feel free to kind of talk about your experiences there. But um, in the meantime, while we got you here, why don't you just introduce yourself a little bit, maybe share a little bit about how you got into technology and startups whenever, whenever that was. Sure. Um, I, I got into tech when I was nine or 10 years old, when my dad bought us our first family computer. This was a 486. Um, I'm dating myself. Not many people probably know what that is. With those giant monitors and separate giant keyboard and a mouse that had a ball in it and not a, not a, not a laser light. Um, so I... Um, I started playing some games with it uh, when I was young, and um, there used I used to buy these computer magazines um, that were issued monthly um, back in Iran. Um, that would come with a bunch of programs in every issue, um, and there were two versions of it. One was a um, more expensive version that would come with the program on a floppy disk that you would put in and run. And a cheaper version of the magazine that would have all the source code printed on the magazine itself. So I couldn't afford to buy the expensive one. I would buy the cheaper one and spend hours typing the source code into, the, into an editor. And um, keep in mind, I didn't know any English and I didn't know any keyboarding and I didn't know how to program. <laughs> so it was like kind of like a parrot, like repeating exactly what's written. And then from there, I was just amazed how impressive it is, how you could build something that... Um, that would run and do, you could give a computer instructions and it would perform it. It was pretty mind blowing. So I started from there, um, then moved on to Visual Basic, um, which, which was one of the first tools to build um, 
graph uh, GUIs for Windows applications, like GraphQL user interfaces. So um, I started building like calculators and different um, color pickers and etc. Um, I moved to Canada in 1996. Um, I was about 14 years old. And um, I got exposed to the internet. Um, we got our first internet connection. We got a modem and got a dial-up connection and started going online, um, learning about uh, internet protocols, browsers, what are servers, um, what is HTTP. Or there was no HTTPS back then. Um, I started learning about like um, script, et cetera. And what is like a setting, how, how do you set up like SSH server? How do you connect? What is Telnet? All that stuff. Um, <clears throat> I went to university at SFU, got my computer engineering degree. I always thought I would be a hardware designer. My, my dream job was to work at Intel building CPUs or RAMs. Um, because that's kind of like what I did in, in school. But I also knew that I want to be able, I want to start my own company at some point and starting a company in hardware with no money or no experience is almost impossible. So I kind of pivoted my career and um, I went towards the software role um, because it was, it was an easier path um, to build a company and building uh, building stuff that could run and um, you could sell. Um, uh, before starting my own company, uh, uh, once I graduated off school, I did, um, I worked for four years at, at BC Cancer Agency. We, uh, I st uh, built a tool to help lab technicians track DNA, like genomic samples and DNAs as they were going throughout the lab. Um, we were the first lab to actually sequence the SARS virus back in 2004. So that was something that we were very proud of. Um, and then I moved from there to a company called uh, Sophos, where I was building um, web security, email security, and encryption platform. That's where I learned how to build um, very secure and scalable software. And at the time, I was ready to start my own company. Um, I told to myself, um, okay, you've done eight years of um, industry experience. It's, you have enough skills that you can now start and uh, do what you actually wanted to do. So I started attending a lot of meetups, um, doing a lot of networking, seeing what's out there. I didn't know anything about startups. Um, I started building a couple of applications, um, but they didn't really go anywhere because I was... Um, this is while I had a full-time job. Um, there was, I, I didn't understand the concept of product market fit. Uh, um, it was, I thought if we just build an application and put it on the web, people will come. Um, just doesn't say launch a building, they'll come and they never came. <laughs> um, so I kind of shelved that. And while this was happening, um, um, I, sorry, I'm kind of giving a long winded answer to how did I get it's all good. Okay, I, I'm super interested. Like, yeah, we can keep going. Okay. Um, and so, um, yeah. So while I was doing um, learning about startups and how to start a company, I was approached by Amazon in Seattle. Um, they offered me a job that was paying me three three times more than what I was making. So I um, I quit my job to move to Seattle to get a job uh, to to start my to start like I, I got a job. I, I quit my I quit my house. I let I let go of my house. I quit my job. I packed everything in, in my car to go down to the uh, uh, to the U.S. Um, 
and as a Canadian, you should be able to get a TN visa and just go start your, uh, um, which is a one year work visa for um, people in North America. Um, but um, it's at the discretion of the border guards. But most of the times they give it. But and in my case, they um, they helped me up for about eight hours at the border, and um, they denied me with uh, with giving no reason why I couldn't get this TN visa. Um, and uh, I was left with no option. And they're saying we give you the choice to go back to Canada. And I, I was telling them, do I have any other option? He's like, no. <laughs> like, okay, I guess I'll go back to Canada. And um, so I worked with Amazon, uh, my employer. We worked on creating a separate package, um, a more solid package to try again next week. So I tried again next week. Um, again, same thing. I was held up at the border for about eight hours this time. I was even threatened that if I asked a lot of questions, they could put me in jail, which was pretty frightening um, and scary. Um, so again, they they brought us some some excuses. Um, so I went back to my employer and we created yet another packet and I took it to the border. Again, same thing. Um, and this time the border guard told me, um, what are you trying to do in the States? And I told them, I'm going to start my job. And he said, you don't have a job until I give you the job. So that was um that was pretty um traumatizing. Uh, demoralizing and traumatizing. And and I told myself, this is it. I'm not gonna try to do this again. And I'm gonna try to figure out my life in Canada. And I would never <laughs> go to the state to work. So um after that I came back, I had no job, I had no money, I had no place. So luckily, um my parents were in town, so I moved back to my parents. Um, and started figuring out what I want to do. Um, at the time, I was, as you said, I was very traumatized, and um, I had I had no idea what where my life is going next. But um, a, a couple of months after that, I met my future co-founders um, at Beanworks, and they um, they were looking for a technical co-founder, and I joined their team, and we built the company. So looking back. Um, the experience that I went through at the border was um, pretty low point in my life, but um, it was the best thing that could have happened to my career. So we built a company for about nine years and we had a successful exit um, in the middle of pandemic um, before the markets crashed. And um, we got out fully and now I'm here. Talk, talk about a rebound. I, I don't think people who were listening to that story expected that, that answer at the end there, right? Um, I, I definitely want to dive a little bit more into to building the product at, at Beamworks and a little bit like that. But before, like I, I know maybe it's because of your experience. I'm not sure. Maybe you can share. Like you do spend a lot of time supporting new immigrants, specifically, you know, you know, immigrant founders and and also those that are trying to get get jobs in tech. Like why why do you feel like that that is a field of interest for you? And and like what what are the common things that you are seeing from from those folks that you're helping or mentoring? For sure. Um, in my, in my, in my lifetime in my career, I've, um, I've learned, I've made a lot of mistakes and I've learned, um, a lot of things along the way that if I knew in advance, um, it would have moved me forward, um, at a much faster pace. Um, I just didn't have anyone to talk to or ask questions from on how to do it. And, it's it's a it's a it's a pretty hard thing. Both both as an as an as an immigrant when you come when you come to Canada, you have no idea what um what what's your next step, what you need to do. Um 
and you're just lost. There's like a million opportunities in front of you and you can't evaluate which one's a better choice and um, what are the pros and cons of each option, right? Um, and if, and I want to be that mentor that to people that I didn't have when I came here and same thing, both as like when selling in Canada and also starting a company. Um, for me, it, it will be very easy to talk about my experience and give advice and guidance um, because I can all that has worked out for me or hasn't worked out for me in the last whatever, 20 years and just given advice and experience. And at the end, it's up to the person to decide what they want to do because at the end, I'm, under, I'm an advisor. Um, but uh, I feel like providing an advice is better than um, them trying on their own and failing. Or, for sure. So that's what I'm trying to do. Um, and, and with the, with the network and with the, with, the, with the network that I have and the people that I know, um, it's a lot easier for me to open doors for people that come here and don't know anybody. So that's mm -hmm. what I'm trying to. It's, it's so easy for me to provide that help to new Americans and new founders. Um, and it's, it's a very rewarding process. And uh, I get very enjoyment out of it. That's amazing. And I know, I know we have a whole bunch of founders that are, that are new to Canada here. We also have folks that are going to be listening to this podcast later publicly that maybe are all over the world. Um, 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 Reza is actually a launch captain with us. So he, he's on Slack. He, you can, you can message him and, and things like that. If, if you have specific questions or, or you're, you resonate with his experience or, or you have similar experiences or you have questions about, about building this business in, in Canada. We're going to move on though, a little bit, just focusing on, on Beanworks. Um, what, what was the initial product and, and why did you feel like the team, like it was a problem we're solving? You talked a little bit about, you know, you finding your co-founders and, and you, you kind of diving in as, as like the, the initial CTO or, or you were the CTO, but, um, what, what was it, I guess, for those folks that, that aren't familiar with it and, and how did you get started? Sure. Um, Beanworks initially, there was a company called Bean Services, um, that started in 2009. Um, that wanted to automate accounts payable process. So companies, small businesses or large businesses that have bills to pay, when an invoice comes through the door, a number of people in an organization need to approve that this purchase, this, this, the purchase for this goods or service was made. Uh, for whether it's like a, whether it's, it's a, uh, whether you're a property manager that you want to approve that. Um, the landscaping invoice before, before you pay it, you want to make sure the work was performed accordingly. Or if you are a, a corporation, you buy a number of laptops when the invoice comes in, you want to make sure you've received those laptops. The number is correct. The spec is correct. A number of, it has to go through an approval process in an organization, um, before accounting could pay that invoice. So this, this was the whole concept around being services. So this company started in 2009. Um, they they built they built a product. It was outsourced. Um, there was um, they got a number of customers, uh, but the investor that had promised the money, the investor promised like invested a million dollars, but only gave and put in half of it first. And before he put the second half of a million dollars, he came in and looked at the company and the um, and he said, "This this company is not scalable. I'm not going to put in my other half." And, and fully shut down the company. Um, 
they had a, like they had a handful of customers. And when I met some of those founders, like after this is this was right after the company had been shut down. They they fired all the customers and laid off all the employees. There was like maybe ten employees. They laid them all off, and some of those employees wanted to still believed in the vision because this was a pain that they felt. Um, especially my CEO, my future CEO, she was an accountant herself. This was the pain that she had, and she really believed in the vision. So that's why she wanted to respond the company. That's this time with a with a um, actual CTO to actually build it and scale it. Um, was she was, part of the the original company? She was a she was a head of sales at the original company. Gotcha. She wasn't a founder at the original company. She was a head of she was selling it because she believed in the software. Or in gotcha. Yeah. And then so for you as you were joining this this company, understanding that someone previously had already failed at it, what kind of gave you and and obviously your team the the boldness. To, to actually go ahead and, and try it again? Like, what did you feel that you were bringing differently to the table that the previous company couldn't do? Yeah. Um, so as I said, the software that they had uh, had a lot of flaws and just wasn't scalable. Um, it, was, it wasn't a traditional SaaS that you could easily instantiate like an, um, a person come in, they could sign up and start using the software. It wasn't like that. There was like a one month setup process for each new customer. And it was just, and that's why it wasn't scalable. For me, as an engineer, I would come in and I know how I could rebuild the application in order to make it scalable. Um, so that was the easy part. Rebuilding the application was the easy part. Um, and when you want to start a company, product market fit is the hardest problem, in my opinion, mm-hmm. um, to solve. And Specifically because myself, when I started, when I tried, like when I was talking about earlier, I, I tried to start a couple of companies. I, I just built the software. I just did, but I didn't know product market fit. I didn't know how to sell it. I didn't know how to market it. I didn't know who my customers are. But in this case, given that that old company had a handful of customers that were paying to use the service. So they had a, they had a pain that needed to be addressed. When you part people with their money, that's the biggest validation that you have, that you're solving a problem. It's really hard to get people to pay. So when I saw that there are a handful of companies that are actually paying, um, that was enough validation for me that yes, there is, and there's, there's, a bold, there's a there is a problem that needs to be solved. We just have to solve it and make it more scalable and sell it more. Um, and that's why, that's why I decided to join. Um, it was just that having like product market fit. I, I always say it was like an ideal marriage. They had that they had the problem that the product market fit. They just didn't have someone. They they didn't know how to build it, and I know mm-hmm. how to build stuff. I just didn't know what to build. So that's when we joined forces. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Were you even familiar with with accounting when prior to you you working on it at all? I took some accounting courses in grade eleven and twelve, <laughs> <laughs> but that was the extent of my accounting knowledge. To be honest, I just I, um yeah. Uh, up until today, I don't care. I don't care about accounting. <laughs> I've said that before. Um, I was just excited about building a company and solving people's needs. Yeah, and and I guess this next question is more for the CTOs, the builders, the product, the technical folks out there. Um, as they're building different products in different industries, possibly industries they have no experience with, like what advice would you kind of give to them? Um, specifically those folks that are maybe building something for, for education, but they, they don't understand that segment, but they're building a good product. Like what, what do you recommend for that? 
Hey, listener, I hope you're enjoying this episode of Launch AMA so far. If you want to be a part of these discussions live as they're recorded, consider joining other like-minded entrepreneurs in our Launchpad program to participate in weekly programs and enjoy benefits from Amazon, Microsoft, and more. Learn more about the Launchpad program by going to launchacademy.ca slash launchpad. That's launchacademy.ca slash launchpad. All right, now back to the show. Yeah, make sure you have, um, you have a partner, you have an advisor that deeply knows that space. Um, knows what the problems are, knows who are the people that have those problems um, or be prepared to educate yourself, spend a lot of time learning about that. Um, so either, either find a partner or advisor that could provide you that information um, or be ready to go into the unknown and just learn. Um, and don't, don't expect to get it right the first time because you will get it wrong. <laughs> Um, be prepared. Um, it, it's an iterative process to to learn about that, but it is doable. Mm-hmm. And how how about did you and your your technical team kind of continue to build features for that that were relevant to to your customers who who, as I understand, kind of like are accounting agencies and things like that, um, or just companies that that have accounting needs? Um, how do you kind of continue to to provide state of the art service? You know yourself being i'm going to call it a normie like you know like you and me like we understand a little bit of accounting but not not deeply right yeah just just talking to just talking to the customers seeing how they use the software hearing their pain points hearing their needs and try to try to make um make their life easier sometimes they don't know what they want um being able to um kind of read in the future and um, provide them a couple of options um, and talking to them and asking if you had something that, if you had something that did this, would you be interested in? Would you, would you, would you like that? Or, or uh, I would like to say, if you had a magic wand that you would just turn it around and hit the computer, <laughs> um, what would you do? What would that look like? And get them to say, um, get them to uh, express um, what their, what success would look like for them. And, mm-hmm. and try to like, and don't just take that and, and try to like use that as a starting point and try to um, massage the idea into like a better solution that's more scalable that addresses a lot more customers rather than just um, that one customer. Because a lot of companies, when they talk to their customers or their potential customers, um, and they just listen to that single customer, they build a solution just that works just for that customer. Don't... Mm-hmm. Be careful of not fall, not falling in that pit, mm-hmm. uh, because if you're building solutions that just addresses one customer's need based on talking to only one customer, you're becoming becoming a service company, not a product company. If you build custom solutions, because that 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 solution might not necessarily be a um, be a solution to the problem that customer number two or three or four have. So talk to as many customers as possible and build a solution that addresses the problem of 10 or 20 or 100 customers. Um, that's how you scale in the, uh, that's how you get the most return on investment on the time you spend on building and developing those features. That's awesome. And as we continue talking here, those, those that are you listening live, feel free to, to use the Q&A feature and ask Reza whatever you feel like. Um, hopefully some of the topics we're, we're talking about are triggering some questions or, or pain points for, for everyone that's, that's here is listening. Um, 
So, so want to fast forward to today a little bit. Um, you're, you're an advisor, you're an investor for, for multiple companies. You're also the interim CEO at a company called Craver. Um, maybe you can share a little bit about what, what Craver is. But, but I think the, the question I want to ask is, how do you feel that leading a product team today, you know, in 2023 is a little bit different than when you started Teamworks? Like what's changed? What's the same? Sure. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm an interim CTO for the company. Um, Craver, Craver is a, as a, as a company that's helping restaurants and local industries, um, becoming more, uh, entering the digital revolution. If, if a restaurant, um, or a coffee shop right now wants to have web ordering and mobile app. Um, it's a it's a heavy investment for them to enter that space because that, that it is table stakes now, and everyone um, expects pretty much, or it might not be expected, but it would be nice to have to be able to order off an off an app rather than um, calling, picking up the phone and calling and um, uh, seeing the menu and adding the options. So what Craver does. Um, so, so companies that can't afford that, they end up going to Uber Eats or DoorDash. They upload their menu there and take all the orders, um, and customers will order through those aggregator apps. Um, the problem with that is that not only they, they have to pay fees to Uber Eats and DoorDash, but also the fact that Uber Eats and DoorDash, they own the relationship with the end customer. The restaurant owner is not. The restaurant owner is just a service provider. Um, and it's up to the, these aggregators to um, decide which company to present to the end users to order from. Like when you open an Uber Eats, it gives you like six comp- six restaurants that you could order from. They are in control of which restaurant you want to order from. So there's no loyalty. There's no there's no loyalty between end users and the restaurant because these Uber these aggregators own the relationship. So at Craver, we are building a tool that um, puts the restaurant owners back in control and they will own the relationship with the end users and help inc- and, and, and uh, they can increase the lifetime value of their clientele by having such tool because they could um, promote back to those end users. They could give them discount. They could give them loyalty, just like it's, it's, like, it's kind of like having a Starbucks app for um, any restaurant. So that's what we do. And I'm an interim CTO, not CEO. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, with with you know building out the product and supporting this team, how do you feel like you know leading a team in twenty twenty three is different than when you started Beanworks? Yeah, hundred um, percent. Things uh, things have changed um, quite a bit in in terms of tooling. Um, how you. Uh, yeah, what are what are the things that you need to educate that like what are the things that you need to look out for? Um, the skills that people need. Back in the days, there was a lot of emphasis on like having some sort of like accreditation, like a university degree or a bachelor or diploma in software development. Um, but as time goes on, you realize no, not, not necessarily a lot of people that have learned on their own are much better problem solvers than the ones that have actually gone and got an actual education. Um, so, some of the, so, so putting less emphasis on accreditation from uh, a university or school. Um, but at the end of the day, people are people, humans haven't changed much. Um, there's still, you're still dealing like you're still dealing with humans. You have to be mindful of that. Um, 
But yeah, some of the toolings and processes have changed, but people have stayed the same. For sure. And I know one of the one of the main things things have changed is, is hybrid remote work. I'm not sure at Craver Craver if if everybody's in the office or everybody's somewhere else. Like how do you how has that kind of changed how you've worked with different teams? Um, and and I don't know if you have any experience working with global teams, but do you have any advice for folks who maybe have have developers in different parts of the world, or or it's a team of developers that are all over the world? Yeah, I have, I have a pretty strong opinion on that. Actually, um, we were all um, in office during Beanworks until pandemic hit, but we went full virtual, full full remote. Um, but. And this is something that we always like everyone, like as an engineer, as an engineer or non-engineer, everyone's dream is to be able to work from, was to work from home because of the flexibility that it gives you if you wanted to go to a dentist or if you wanted to take care of your pet or if you, uh, if you have a young child um, or if you want to go to the bank, a lot of these things, like if you have a full-time job, it doesn't allow you to do that. And the only, the only, you're only left with Saturdays and Sundays to do any of that stuff. Um, so remote work um, was kind of like a dream come true, but there are there are things that you miss either when you're a fully when you're a fully remote team, um, such as having meaningful relationship with your coworkers, um, being able to go out for lunches with them, and solving problems on a whiteboard um, quickly, quickly like going up to their desk and talking, solving a problem and. Discussing something, asking a question and solving a problem. You don't get these things by remote work. Um, I personally feel uncomfortable. Like, um, I know someone's like working, at, like, I don't know if I, if I, if I message them, will I be interrupting them? Um, will they be at their desk? I have a quick question that I need to get an answer right away. I don't know when they're going to get back to me. So I have to keep waiting and I don't want to start something else because I, till I hear back from that, for, for that, that answer to my question. And I don't know how long that's going to be, two minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes, next day, right? So these are the problems with remote work. Um, and if you build relationship with people on regular small talks or get to know them a little um, get to know them as a, as a human a little bit more, it will help having more difficult conversations easier with them. Uh, so you miss those through remote work. Like you would never, um, it's, it's, it's very rare that someone on Slack messages, Hey, nice day today. Right. Or, Oh, I'm tired of this. I'm tired of this, these long, uh, nice. I want to, I miss the sun. Like those things rarely happen on Slack. And those are like more, um, as they say, watercolor conversations. And there's a lot of value into that. So my, my ideal solution is, a. It's a hybrid. It's a hybrid model um, with like maybe like two or three days. People come to the office and two or three days work from home. You get the benefit of both worlds, but it has to be fixed days. A lot of companies right now are doing it in a way that oh, we have an office coming whenever you want. Um, mm. In my opinion, that doesn't work. It should be that everyone come in on these two days and then everyone works from home on these two days because then you will get the benefit of both in person and remote. That's how companies should be doing it, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. And and like then that makes a lot of sense because I think as work becomes more remote, 
managers and, and you know, C-suite executives, they have to become even more people oriented than before is, is what it sounds like you're, you're saying. Um, I want to kind of pull your, your investor hat a little bit. I think one of the main attractions from a, a founder perspective of fully remote teams is you no longer have to pay for real estate or, or the office itself, right? So from, from your investor standpoint, if, if a company is here and they're, they're building, they have a small team, is it wise for them to, to put part of, could be their last raise or their own friends and family or whatever into that office to, to build that culture? And I know I'm asking very generally, right? But, but just kind of like, what are your thoughts on that versus like a fully remote team that, that obviously kept its costs a bit lower because they're not paying for, for the monthly office? Depends on the size of the team. If it's like two or three people, you like even up to like 10 people, you don't need to like get into a like a two or three year lease on an office space. There's a lot of like um shared working spaces that you could go work out of. And also there's a lot of companies that have that are into are in are into five year leases for huge office spaces and they don't have any employees going. So they are looking to fill those seats and cover some of the rent, right? So you could sublease some of these spaces from those companies. Um, from an investor hat, yes, the not having an office definitely is a huge saving for the companies, but it doesn't help you build your culture. There's a lot of value in building culture and working together that not having an office prevents that. Unless you have other means of, as I said, working together, going to these co-working spaces, getting together at least once a week, um, these kind of interactions to build. And it's not just getting to work, like working together once a week, not just getting together, like having beer with your coworker is different than sitting and working with your coworker. So being physically present, working together, I think it will help build the culture a lot more. And there's a lot of value in that that we shouldn't um, underestimate. So I, I don't have a problem with people um, spending money on getting a physical location or leasing as a physical location to spend time and working together. Mm-hmm. And then for the, the the super remote teams, and we're talking like you know you're you're here, I'm in Brazil, someone else is in in Europe. Like what what would you kind of recommend for them? Because obviously the the getting together once a week physically that that isn't an option. So those, yeah, it can be done. Um, but I don't think in the next five or 10 years, you can build a unicorn, which is fully remote team. Mm-hmm. You could do it. You could build a decent company with it, but it's not going to be a very successful unicorn. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Cool. That's, that's super interesting. Um, talking a little bit about, about, uh, apart from the teams and talking about the products itself. Like I, I know, and, and I feel like some founders in here are guilty of this and some CTOs are on the receiving end of this. Um, talk about new advancement, new technologies in, in a product roadmap. Like what advice would you have for a product team that's consistently asked whether, Hey, are we implementing AI? Are we using, you know, the chat GPT API? Are we using blockchain? What about adding, adding stuff to a blockchain? Like how, how do you kind of navigate new technology while building your existing product roadmap? Or what's your kind of thoughts on that? Yeah, n- new tech that comes in, especially with like new libraries or technologies, um, it's so rapidly changing in, in this day and age. Um, be very mindful of it. There are a lot of times a new technology comes in 
that it's hot, that everyone's talking about it, everyone's flocking to it. But then a year later, people realized it was just a hype. <laughs> um, and then it just completely disappears. Um, be careful of that. I see, a, I see some startups that are trying to raise money. They say, we do, we do NFTs. They used to say, we do NFTs, we do blockchain. Yeah, now they do, say, we do AI. Like, I've seen founders that try to like hit on keywords that lights up investors' eyes and they're like, here's my money, here's the guy. So, um, but um, be, be careful of that. Don't, don't use keyword. Don't use those buzzwords just to raise money. <laughs> um, because um, it might not turn out to be an actual thing and you're essentially you're fooling yourself or the investors. Um, and be more pragmatic and practical about it. Um, a lot of companies have been saying we're, we have AI-based technology for like the last 10 years. And um, only right now, they're true, like truly AI is becoming um, democratized that people could incorporate into their company, um, that they don't need to hire like five PhD data scientists to build this AI for them uh, with some of these advancements in AI. Um, and those are some of the companies that were using buzzwords. We have AI-based, AI blah, AI-based, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. um, so my advice to them is be pragmatic about choosing these um, technologies um, and advancements in tech in your product. Um, and do, don't do it just for the sake of the hype. Be, 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 be mindful of the hype. Be mindful that these hype might die down and they might fully disappear, just like how blockchain is has happened right um like two years ago three years ago everyone was saying we are building x on blockchain mm -hmm. and i would ask them why blockchain why don't you just use a regular database and they didn't have an answer to that right so th that's mm -hmm. a, that's a that's a clear indication that they are using these hype word these buzzwords to make excitement about their product and they don't necessarily have a good reason for it so mm -hmm. if, if you bring it in, make sure you have a good use case for it and um, you could fully justify it if asked why. And then reversely, are there libraries or, or different APIs or different advancements that, that you are finding interesting right now? And you think, you know, this could actually help future teams build their products better. Or is there anything you're keeping your eye on? Yeah, definitely like the AI stuff, the, the chat GPD stuff um, are, are very, very interesting space to be in right now um not necessarily just the chat gpt itself right now a lot of people are excited about it because they could have these conversations with it but how you could incorporate that into your product is the next challenge not many people know um how to do that um i'm excited about that space also being able to provide good prompts to these AI engines, I believe will be becoming programming 2.0. Mm -hmm. um, because right now, the skill that our industry is lacking is people who could create good prompts for these large language models. Um, there, you see a lot of posts or blog posts or um, LinkedIn posts on these are, these are the 10 ways that I'm using chat GPT to do blah, 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 blah. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but there is no formal education. You can't go take a course on how to become a prompt engineer. There are these, there's 
there are these topics coming up and it's like we are in the fourth round days of programming mm. where um some people know how to some people have some use cases for um using these tools to their extent of uh, their capabilities um but this whole um how do you say it space hasn't been developed and we'll be seeing a lot of advancements in that space mm-hmm. but also a lot of these um responses that these gpt models give you they are not 100% accurate right um, as as we all know so that's something that we have to be mindful and figure out how we could complement that to make mm-hmm. it to make to make it more accurate and provide meaningful value to our end users just because you put in just just by incorporating current chat GPD into your platform, it's not going to be um, the solution to your customers' problems. You have to be mindful of that, that they're, they, they sometimes hallucinate and you have to answer <laughs> that and figure out how to answer that. Yeah, um, I like my understanding of it is like the, the floor of, of what we can build has been raised, right? Like the whereas previously we we have to kind of build it all ourselves now it's like well chat gbt those types of ai models can get you to to a certain level but that doesn't mean it's it's shippable yet or or whatever and i think that floor has definitely risen like i know i get excited from and obviously i'm not technical um about about you know workflow efficiencies right the fact that i can i can kind of now if i'm writing a blog post just as an example like i have a starting point but i would never ship right now something that I just go, Hey, write a blog post about my, my conversation with Reza and then ship it. Right. Like I'm still going to have to work. And and I think your, your prompt engineer is a really interesting use case. Um, because how I phrase that question to the model, like is really, really important. Right. Um, and so I'm curious to know from, from a technical perspective, like I've heard of stories or rumors that like people are using these AI models to, to debug or audit their code. Like, what do you what do you think from that perspective? Like, how is that? Is that is that working? Is it still is it trustworthy? What are your kind of thoughts? For sure, it's yeah, it, it definitely works. So these these long, um, AI uh, as we uh, like as we're, where we stand today um, will make us a lot more efficient if we figure out how to use it. It's not going to replace us. It's not going to replace. Um, programmers, it's not going to replace designers, it's not going to replace CTO, CEOs, or anyone else, but it will make you more efficient. So something like something that five people could do, we could potentially do it with one person. Um, one person augmented with AI. So, and that's what I'm talking about, like this human AI augmentation. Um, you can take advantage of it, but still, at this point, we need a human to um, be monitoring it and working with it. So, as as you said, you can't write a blog and ship it, but you something that could take you a week. Um, you could generate one um, in 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 a few minutes and spend a day cleaning it up and then shipping it. So instead mm-hmm. of spending a week writing that blog, you could do it in one day. It's amazing. Um, we're we're closing in on the hour now. 
um, just to kind of wrap things up a little bit. I know that we we hinted about it. you you do do some investments, angels here and there. Um, from your perspective, like what what kind of projects interest you, and like what are you really looking for for when you're wanting to to either advise or or work with a specific company? Yeah, my my experience is mostly B two B SaaS. Um, that's that's where um, I could provide the most um, help and advice. And I am looking mostly at the, at, the, at the angel round. You're mostly investing in the founder rather than mm-hmm. their product or company. Um, figuring out if this person is a hustler. If they, um, what kind of adversities have they faced, and how they challenge, and, and how they, uh, they um, how they got and over it, what is their result? Um, what is their background? Um, how committed are they to seeing this company succeed, and what does success look like? Uh, especially a lot of angel investment angel rounds are pre pre-product, pre-product market fit, um, pre-launch. So a lot of it heavily relies on the founder themselves. Once the product is launched, it's all about revenue. Um, what is your track record on selling this product? Um, mm-hmm. How well do you know how to sell this product? All mm-hmm. the all the focus changes on that. Mm-hmm. And you kind of hinted on it a little bit, but... What are some of those traits of those early founders that you found like, hey, like Joe, I really liked working with Joe. Um, this is why. Like, what are what are those things that you found that have been been attractive or interesting from your perspective? Um, they spend a lot of time educating themselves. Mm-hmm. They read they read a lot of books about their their industry, their space. Um, they have um. They have done things that would require extra effort. For example, um, they, t- they take non-ordinary measures in order to find a certain customer, find a certain investor, or find a certain employee that they want to hire. Right? Mm-hmm. You don't. They don't just post a job advertisement and see if I can if they can find a good employee. They. They go through the network, they create these um, creative ways of attracting people to join their companies or attractive ways of reaching an investor that they don't have a connection with. Um, mm-hmm. Let's say they like they find out this investor dines at this restaurant and they just go sit there and like <laughs> hoping that they come. <laughs> so they're taking like extraordinary measures in order to meet yeah. a person. Um, because that those are what separates um, hustlers out from ordinary yeah. people. Do you find that that's prevalent regardless of of their skill set? Like whether it's it's like a, a sales founder versus a technical founder versus a design founder. Like, do you find that these traits are kind of doesn't matter? Like because they they got their founder hat on and I got to do all things. Um, or or do you find it's like more specific in in certain roles? Um. Yeah. If you're definitely like yeah, if you're a founder, you have to have, you have to have those traits. Um. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think it's it's role dependent. Um, if you're a CEO or um, head of sales or customer success, you have to like you have to do a little bit more. But even if you're a technologist, um, you have to find creative ways um, of building your brand, um, attracting talent, 
trying new technologies that see what what could work, what could what what, uh, what could not work, building the relationships, building those networks. Um, all of these um, require a lot of effort that you have Perfect. to put into. Yeah. And then my, my final question for you here is, you know, there's a lot of folks that are listening right now live. There's a lot of folks that are going to be listening later on the podcast. Um, what types of topics are you personally interested in, in discussing or, or advising and how can people contact you? Yeah, I'm on Slack and LinkedIn. Feel free to reach out, um, send an invite. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, the topics. Yeah. Just all the issues of first time founders face, um, whether it's finding a co-founder, um, finding resources to learn from, how to make sure you have product market fit, resolving founder conflicts, um, how to, how to, how to raise money. Um, yeah, a lot of these stuff. So awesome. That's, that's yeah, a lot there's, of, there's lot of stuff. Yeah. A lot of stuff that our founders are facing. So there needs to be others. Perfect. Hey, thank you so much for, for spending so much of your time with, with our companies. Really appreciate it. And uh, hopefully we're going to see you at some of our launch activities soon. I'll make sure to shoot you over some invites. Um, we can hang out and just meet, meet different founders and, and, and chat. Um, if for those of you that are listening, we will be back next week. Um, for those of you on the podcast, we'll have another episode for you next month. So thank you very much for their time. Appreciate you again, Reza, and everybody for showing up here. And take care. Thank you. Um, right. Thanks for hosting me, Sam. And um, yeah, hopefully see you in person as well. Thanks again. Yeah, for- it's a lot of fun. Yeah, take care. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Launch AMA, a podcast that's part of the Launch Academy network of podcasts. If you liked what you heard, give us a follow on your favorite podcast app and subscribe to our YouTube channel at Launch Academy HQ. You might also like our other podcasts, Bits and Bytes and Founder Journey. This episode was hosted by Sam Chen and produced by Samson Lee. Learn more about what we do here at Launch Academy by going to launchacademy.ca. Consider joining our Launchpad program by going to launchacademy.ca slash launchpad. That's launchacademy.ca slash launchpad. launchpad.